Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, we began a few weeks ago on a series we're calling Questions About Healing. And this text is the truth that explains why we're talking about some of these things. 1 Peter 3 and 16, I believe it is. Nope, that's not it. Second uh, Peter is what I should have told you. Second Peter three, sixteen. He's talking about Paul and the wisdom that God had given him. Peter is by the Spirit, and he said, verse sixteen. Also, in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned. And unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, uh, beware lest you also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Look at the Amplified Uh, version of verse 16. Verse 16. It says, uh, the ignorant and unstable twist and misconstrue to their own utter destruction just as they distort and misinterpret the rest of the scriptures. There were then, there are now people who twist the scriptures and make them say things that the Lord's not saying. And the result is their own destruction. Does it matter whether you rightly divide the scripture or not? And he said, the 17th verse, he was warning them, lest they be carried away by the error and fall from your own present firm condition, your own steadfastness of mind. Now they had come up under Paul's ministry. And how many think Paul was not twisting the scriptures? And what was coming through him to them was building them up and making them strong. And the result was they were in a firm condition. And they had a a made up mind and established heart like Abraham fully persuaded. But you get to listening to people that are unlearned. And unstable and twisting scriptures and turning things around, you get to listen to it. You can get to where you're not settled like you used to be. And you're questioning it. You weren't questioning it before, but now you are, now you're not sure. Now you're not sure. I know when I was in Bible school, a friend of mine was getting his doctorate of divinity. And of course, I, I don't have that. And I was uh, wanting to find out, you know, what he was getting and uh, thinking, you know, do I need to pursue further? And uh, so we're talking about, uh, we were studying the book of Romans at that time. And I asked him about some of his studies in Romans and this particular uh, issue, question in the book of Romans. I asked him, I said, well, what, what about that? 
He said, well, Dr. So-and-so came and gave a, a, a lecture on such and such, and his position was this and that. I said, uh, okay, is, is that what you believe? He said, well, no, other Dr. So-and-so came later in the term, and he gave his position, and it was a totally different position. And I said, so you believe that? He said, well, no, actually, another Dr. So-and-so. He came, and he gave me about four Dr. So-and-so's positions, and they were different, very, very different. Now, all of them couldn't be so. And I said, well, uh, which one do you believe? He said, well, I see merit in first Dr. So-and-so's position, but I also see merit in second. And he went on to talk about third. And I thought to myself, I hope you don't have to stand on this anytime soon because you don't know what you believe. Faith is not wavering and vacillating and wondering. Now, the topic is questions about healing. And Brother F.F. F. Bosworth, uh, in, in his book, uh, Christ the Healer, if you don't have that book, you ought to get it. It's a good one. Christ the Healer. He said, faith begins where the will of God is known. That's another way of saying Romans ten seventeen. So then faith comes by hearing. Amen. And hearing by the word of God or the anointed word. Faith begins... Where the will of God is known. Known. Somebody say known. 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 And most of the church world is unsure whether it's God's will for them to be healed or not. Did you know that? We are in the small minority that say we can answer the question. (laughs) Most people, a lot of good people. Thoroughly saved, thoroughly born again, love the Lord. If they died tonight, they'd go straight to be with Jesus. But they just don't believe that a person could know if it was God's will for them to be healed or not. And so they pray for healing with the faith-destroying phrase, if it be thy will. People say, well, Jesus prayed, if it be thy will. He sure did. In the garden. They weren't having a healing line. In the garden. Are y'all with me, friends? No, no. You do need to, to submit to the will of God. But it's no more appropriate to pray for healing with an if it be thy will than it would be to pray for somebody to be born again with an if it be thy will. Why don't you pray that way? Hmm? Well, somebody wants to be born again. Well, Lord, I just pray that you'd save this brother if it's your will. If not, then he won't be saved. I guess he'll wind up in hell. Your will be done. Why don't we pray that way? I said, why don't we pray that way? Because we know it's not his will that any should perish. Well, the same Bible reveals that it's his will for you to be healed, for you to be filled with the Spirit, for your needs to be met. Come on, are you listening? Same Bible. It's just we've heard more about the new birth part. See, we've heard enough, a lot of people have heard enough about the new birth part. They'd get fighting attitude. Oh, and you say, well, it might not be God's will to save somebody. You go, what? What? (laughs) Certainly it's God's will for everybody to be saved. Why aren't we that way about healing? We should. If you hear the word to the same degree, you will be. 
and you won't be removed from steadfastness. You will be fully persuaded, steadfast. Is it important that you don't listen to the wrong people? Being ignorant, unlearned, and unstable does not prevent you from writing books. Or having seminars. Or pastoring a church. (laughs) Are y'all with me now? There's a lot of people teaching a lot of twisted stuff. And calling it the word of God. Watch who you listen to. Go with me to James. Let's take this just a little bit further. You might say, well, I don't know the scriptures that well, Brother Keith. How can I know? Well, you need to be uh, remedying that. There's no excuse for you and me being ignorant of the Bible. Ignorant of what the Word says. But even at that, you might say, well, I'm not a preacher. I never went to Bible school or or seminary. or I don't know anything about Greek or, or Hebrew. You don't have to. I said you don't have to. To discern who you should listen to. In James the third chapter. Let me show you what I'm talking about. James chapter three. He's talking about knowing a tree by its fruits. Knowing a fountain by the water that comes out. By what it's producing. And in verse 13, he said, who is a wise, this is James 3, 13. Who's a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. We just got through reading the text about the wisdom that God gave Paul. But then some people that were unlearned and unstable twisted what God gave Paul and turned it into something else that God never said. And they did it to their own destruction. And then other people listening to them lost their steadfastness, became confused and unstable themselves. You know, if you hang around unstable people, if you listen to unstable people, what'll happen? You know, it, it can rub off on you and you can become unstable. He said, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion and every evil work. You don't have to have a lot of education. You don't have to know original languages. You can, you want to look not just for somebody's doctrine and not just for the letters at the end of their name. You want to look what kind of spirit do they have? Are y'all with me, friends? What kind of spirit do they, a person's spirit is more important. Nobody you know knows everything or is right about everything. What do you mean it's not right about everything? Well, just by right of ignorance, you're going to come to some wrong conclusions. And so there's no such thing as finding somebody that is perfection in doctrine. Because we know in part. But what you do need to watch for is the spirit of the person. Because that's going to get in you if you feed on it and listen to it. 
And this is a wrong spirit. This envying, strife. You can see people that are, they are combative. They're preachers that like to fight. I've met several of them. They just, you know, you, you see them coming. It won't make any difference what you said. They just want to argue and they want to start something. That's the wrong spirit. And you ought not listen to their teachings. Did you hear me? That's not my idea. We're reading the scripture here. It is a wisdom. Yeah, but they come up with some stuff. There is a devilish wisdom. It's wisdom, but it's not from God. It makes you go, hmm, that's intriguing. Oh, that's elaborate. Oh, that's complicated. Yeah, and it's not God. But here's the right spirit. Verse 17, the wisdom that is from above, like what God gave through Paul, is first pure. It's not surrounded by a bunch of uncleanness and a bunch of sin. Hmm? Person that's right is not giving you holy doctrine uh, one minute and telling you a dirty joke the next. Are you with me, friends? Then peaceable, not a combative fighter type, gentle, easy to be entreated, easy to talk to, full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, doesn't play favorites, doesn't play politics, without hypocrisy, no lying, no putting on airs, real, genuine, honest. Truth. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. You don't have to have degrees. You don't have to know original languages to know who you should listen to. You can tell, you know, don't just be listening to the technicalities of things. Listen to the Spirit. Check your heart. And even though maybe it sounds technically right to you, but you just can't put your finger on it, but something bothers you about it. Well, pay attention to what the Spirit of God is saying to you. And limit that. Is that okay? Well, we dealt with several questions about healing. Does God make people sick? We dealt with that in some detail. We talked about, what about Job? What about his case? What about his situation? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11, please. 1 Corinthians 11. Now, what we've seen in both of these previous teachings is the the subject of judgment. Judgment. A lot of people don't like to talk about judgment. But it's in the Bible. A lot. And sometimes people don't want to look at it because they think, I think God's a good God. And I just don't like talking about it. It's part of His goodness. And you shunning it and avoiding it is not helping you. And the enemy will take advantage of your ignorance. All the scriptures are good. The ones you don't understand, good. Still good, you just don't see them. When you see them, you'll go, glory to God, that's good. <laughs> but you're not going to see them by avoiding them, are you? And if something is true, it will withstand the closest examination. Won't it? If it's truth, if it's the rightly divided word of God, it'll take any pressure, any examination. Won't it? And if what you believe can't take examination, it needs to be upset, turned around. 
So, does God make people sick? What we concluded, when we looked at numerous statements that God said, God smites, God strikes. And what we concluded is that God passes judgment that allows the destroyer access. But this does not mean it's his will. Or that it pleases him at all. In fact, we went to scriptures that showed it grieved him. It grieved him. But he is the righteous judge of all the earth. And he must do right. And he's not, even though he loves you and he loves me, he's not going to pervert justice for any of us. You think about a man or a woman that's sitting on the bench and is a judge. If they really are a good judge, even if it's their own children, if they would allow them to sit on the case, if they're really a good judge, they're, they're going to do the same thing as they would do by somebody else and by the law, right? A parent, if a parent's really a good parent, they're not going to let their child uh, cry and pull on their emotions and have them change their word and make them into a liar. Now you could meddle some here. Hmm? Don't tell your child something unless you intend to do it. And if you tell them you do this again and this is going to happen and they do it again and you don't do what you said, you are a liar. And you're teaching them to be a liar. And you're, you're telling, you're giving them the false idea that God's like you. And that no matter what he says, they can plead and beg and carry on. And he will uh, pervert justice for them too. And he won't. You're preparing them for a rude awakening in life. So if you don't intend to do it, don't say it. If you do say it. <laughs> and there'll be some things that, you know, the Bible talks about the, the person of integrity in Psalms. That even he swears to his own hurt. But doesn't change. There'll be times it'll cost you. There's been a number of times that I wished I hadn't said it. (laughs) I said, I'll go here. I'll do this. I'll take care of this. And oh man, it turned out to be a whole nother deal than what I was thinking. But my words on it, right? My words on it. And so, you know, what if God didn't keep his word? The whole creation would fail to continue. No, we are... Truth, children of a truth God. His word is unfailing. It is impossible for him to lie. Our word ought to be good too. If it hadn't been, don't look back on the past. Repent. Believe God to help you. You can change. You might have been one of the biggest liars in the county. But by the grace of God, you could become one of the most honorable men or women in the days to come. And people just marvel about what a change had happened in your life. Couldn't it happen? First Corinthians 11, did you find it? We looked at judgment. We saw with Job that the bulk of the book dealt with judgment and with why. Why these terrible things happened to Job. His three friends came to comfort him and remained to torment him. <laughs> we don't want to do that, do we? And uh, 
they kept telling Job, well, Job, you had to miss it. You had to mess up somewhere uh, or this bad stuff wouldn't happen to you. And Job kept saying, no, I am a righteous man. I've done this good and that good. I haven't done it. And as it waxed on, Job became indignant and put out with the Lord. And he said the Lord uh, was being unfair to him and unjust. And, of course, this stirred them up all the more. And they just started making up stuff. You know, you probably did this. and You probably did that. And I think your judgment is less than what you deserve. And I mean, it got heated. And then finally, God spoke through a man by the name of Elihu. Now, a key to understanding this book is that phrase right there. Uh, Job was wrong, and his three friends were wrong. What Elihu said was God speaking through him. In fact, God just continued the conversation from what he was saying through Eli. He just decided instead of speaking through him, he said, stand aside, I'm going to finish this myself. And he spoke out of the whirlwind. (laughs) And Job repented. And his three friends had to repent. Nothing is said about Elihu needing to repent. The reason why I'm going through this, because it is a key to understanding the book. But look with me in the 33rd chapter. Well, you got 1 Corinthians 11, right? We'll read it first. Then we'll go to Job 33. This is so big, I'm trying to hurry, but if you can tell that you don't have the background, you have to stop and lay background. 1 Corinthians 11. You're there, correct? And uh, 29. He said, he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation or judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. Now, this is New Testament. He's talking to people that are born again, filled with the spirit. They're preaching the same gospel we preach, got the same Holy Spirit we have. And he said a number of people in the church there at Corinth were sick and sickly, weak, and had died prematurely. And the reason was a failure to rightly discern the Lord's body. Verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I like that verse. I like the not being judged. (laughs) Now, you know, you can see how these uh, two series are overlapping. Sunday we talked about how not to get judged. That part was don't judge another man or woman and you won't be judged. But uh, keep reading, 32. When we are judged, we are what? Chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Keep reading. Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, tarry one for another. That gives insight into a part of discerning the Lord's body. They weren't valuing and appreciating each other. There's two sides to discerning the Lord's body. His physical body, that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, but then also the spiritual body of Christ, that your brother and your sister. Back up to the previous verse again. When we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord. So can you still get judged in the New Testament? This is New Testament, right? But here, we talked about, we referred to this briefly. 
why would you be judged and chastened of the Lord? Read the rest of the verse. That we should not be condemned with the world. When it comes to a Christian, when it comes to a believer, even the judgment of the Lord is in love and mercy. Now, the Bible said, as many as God loves, he chastens. And in Hebrews, it compares a father or a parent uh, chastening his child to God chastening us. And uh, it says no chastening at the moment is pleasant, but it's grievous. But it works toward a good end. I'm paraphrasing. So a good parent is going to do some things with the child that's not going to please the child. That's going to make the child unhappy at the moment. We're not talking about things that seriously injure the child and hurt. We're not talking about child abuse. But some people have become confused and they think that there can be no discipline of any kind or it's child abuse. And so we got a whole generation that has grown up. And they're a terror. They don't have respect for their elders. They think everybody owes them something. They think they can do anything that crosses their mind, say anything they want, do anything they want. There are no repercussions. And they're being destroyed. Many are coming to a premature, early demise and end and a wrong end. But not our children. I said, not our children, not our youth. We're bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We, as the Lord's helping us, teaching them how he really is. Not this flaky, goofy, new age, politically correct God, but the God who he's always been. He doesn't need to change. God doesn't change with the times. God doesn't change with the times. No. Perfection doesn't need to change. (laughs) What would he change to? Imperfection? If we judge ourselves, we won't be judged. That's where you want to be. That's where you and I want to be right there. Judging yourself. But when we are judged... Now we, Paul includes himself. He includes all believers, all Christians. This is Christians being judged. When we are judged, we're chastened of the Lord that we should not be condemned with the world. Now we're dealing tonight with the chastening of the Lord or the punishing of the Lord. And this is something that a lot of charismatics and faith people don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole. And some, because they haven't understood some things, even some charismatics, have twisted the scriptures in these areas because they don't understand what it says. And they think it contradicts God being a good God. And so they've come up with some interpretations that are not right. And it's some of that unlearned and unstable. How many of you can be a faith person, a so-called a word person, a charismatic And be unlearned and unstable. And twist scriptures. And come up with things that just are not in keeping with the rest of the word. 
If God does it, it's right. Hmm? And he's good. Go with me to uh, Job and look at that, what was the 33rd chapter? Are you believing with me? Are you scared of the scriptures? <laughs> huh? Are you scared of the Bible? Scared of what you might find out about God? <laughs> How many are already convinced? You find out about God, it's going to be good. It's going to show that He is perfect. He is righteous. He's good. He's kind. Anything more you find out about it, it's just going to bring more of that out. But He is the righteous judge of all the earth. He's not the destroyer. But He is the righteous judge. And uh, it's not good that some, there are some good people in some other denominations, other groups, they love the Lord. And they have some light in this area, but don't have some light in the area of healing and prosperity, so they're against it. And in their so-called charismatics and faith people, they've got some light with healing and prosperity, but they don't have some light over here concerning judgment and these things, and so they're against that. And both of them's right, and both of them's wrong. Because both of them only know in part. Y'all believing with me tonight? Okay, don't quit me now. Service is not over for, oh, a long time. Because <laughs> I'm just sure you want to get this. Don't you? And yeah, if somebody wants to talk to you about this that thinks that God being a good God and a healing God is contradictory with God being the righteous judge of all the earth and the chastening of the Lord. Don't you want to know how to talk to them intelligently and from the scriptures and show them that it's not a conflict, it's not a contradiction, and maybe they could come away with the realization that God would heal them too? And something that had, maybe that's a partial truth, but that has been twisted and, and taught wrongly has stolen their faith. And maybe the, the faith of their parents and grandparents to be healed and it could be changed in their generation and their kids could live free. Their kids, as long as the Lord would tell you, this is important. And you can't just stomp your foot and say, well, this is what we believe in our church. <laughs> that ain't good enough. It's what we, uh, you know, Phyllis does and others uh, with the youth, uh, you know, they don't just stand up and teach them like we do in here. It's take everything to the word. If they have a question, if they have an issue, we don't just answer it. We say, all right, take it to the Word. Where's it at? You can't just say mom and them believes. Can't just say our church believes. That's not good enough. Jesus didn't say when he was pressed and tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Rabbi so-and-so says, this is what we believe at the synagogue. No, tell me what he said. Help me. What did he say? He said, it is written. What did he say the second time? It is written. What did he say the third time? It is also written. It is written. Did he know? It was written. And where it was written. And what it meant. Him. He's our example. We're to operate exactly that way. You need to know for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. You need to know for yourself. Job 33. I know some of this I'm moving a little bit slow on, but it's necessary. Because some people haven't thought in these areas very much. And it's just new to them in their thinking. Do us no good to just go through a bunch of information if you're not understanding it. You know, the, the key to brilliance, one key, 
a key to brilliance and genius is memory. Uh, you, you watch the brightest people, people that folks call genius, they have an amazing memory. They remember all kinds of stuff. And the key to memory, other than having a good confession, let me pause right here. You got to quit talking about you getting old and forgetting stuff. Your, your mind is not aging. Your mind will never age. Well, I know my brain's getting old. I didn't say your brain. Your brain is simply the physical organ that your mind functions through. Your mind's a part of your eternal being and it is unlimited in what it can know, understand, and remember. Unlimited. 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 But people believe lies. Well, I'm over 40 now and I just don't remember like I used to. Your words will make you dull. They'll do it. I just got to where I can't remember a thing. Ha, ha, ha. That ain't funny. You are hurting yourself. There's death in your words. What you need to say is what the little ones know how to say. I'm quick. I'm bright. I'm sharp. Good looking. Very rich. And a major blessing. (laughs) Quick. The Lord makes me of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. Quick and sharp. So uh, a key, a big key to genius or brilliance or brightness is memory. And memory is not as hard. People try to do all kind of stuff to remember things. It's easy. If you understand something, you will remember it. Just trying to cram a bunch of information that you don't really understand, you won't keep it very long. You'll lose that. But when you understand something, it's because you made an association. What what, what do you mean? First of all, it was unclear to you, and then you thought, oh, that's like this. Now you'll have it forever. You made the connection, you made the association, you will remember it. Won't charge you for that, that's just extra. (laughs) Because we don't charge you for any of it, do we? Uh, Job 33 33 14 at this rate this is going to be a long series <laughs> but what do you care huh? I mean <laughs> this whole book of Job deals with judgment And God is, Elihu, I should say, is speaking by inspiration of the Almighty in this chapter. And he said in verse 12, uh, well, verse, let's back up to verse 9. He's quoting what Job had said. Job said, I am clean without transgression. I am innocent, neither is there iniquity in me. Behold, he, talking about God, finds occasions against me. He counts me for his enemy. And he puts my feet in the stocks. And he marks all my paths. Is that true? That God was his enemy. And God was not being fair with him. No, Job was wrong. 
And just a couple of chapters later, Job admitted he was wrong and he repented about this. And not long after, he was healed and God gave him twice as much as what he lost. But listen to the wisdom of God that came in result of his, in response to his, his saying this. He said, verse 12, Behold, in this you are not just. I will answer you that God is greater than man. Why do you strive against him? For he gives not account of any of his matters. You know, does God really have to explain stuff to us? <laughs> huh? Faith does not have to understand. Understanding is not required before you believe. Brother Hagen, my father in the faith, said as a little boy, he could not figure out how a brown cow could eat green grass and give white milk and you churn it and make yellow butter. Couldn't figure this out, little bitty guy. But all the time he's trying to figure it out, he's enjoying the milk. <laughs> and and the butter. So you can believe something and enjoy something before you understand it. Can't you? But if you say, I got to understand that before I can accept it, then you are unbelieving. It's not an intelligence or understanding problem, it's a heart problem. It's a faith is a choice, it's a decision. You just choose. Somebody tells you something, then you have to decide, do I believe that or do, or do I not believe it? It's a choice. He said, God speaks once, yea, twice. Yet man perceives it not. God is speaking, but people are not getting it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, in slumberings upon the bed, he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. God is endeavoring to, no, I shouldn't say endeavoring. God is speaking to people. He's speaking to people all over the place. He's speaking repeatedly. And men and women are not perceiving that he is talking to them or that it is him. He even speaks to them in dreams and in visions and in the nighttime and when their heart and mind is still and quiet. A lot of times when people wake up for, before they get busy with things, something comes up in them, but they don't see that it's him. People are so carnal, they're so uh, preoccupied with the things of the world and the things of life and cares of life and issues and their personal desires and pursuits that they're, they're not getting it. Keep reading what happens. Verse 18, well, verse 17, the purpose of him speaking to us is that he may withdraw man from his purpose and hide pride from man. That's those that are opposed to God's plan. He wants to get them back on his plan. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. He's endeavoring to spare us from destruction. Now, now it, if it, well, let me just keep reading. Verse 19, he's chastened with pain upon his bed and the multitude of his bones with strong pain so that his life abhors bread and his soul dainty meat. His flesh is consumed away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out and his soul draws near to the grave and his life to the destroyers. He didn't get it 
when God was talking to him. He didn't get it or she didn't get it the second time or the third time. They didn't get it when there was a dream or when there was a vision or when there were other things. And now they've lost their health. They're, you can tell this person is terribly sick, aren't they? They're at death's door. Verse 23. If there be a messenger with him, an interpreter, one among a thousand. So you don't find these everywhere. To show unto man his uprightness, God's uprightness. Then he, God, is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. If he could find somebody, and it's one in a thousand that can do it, that can help him or her to see what's been going on and how that they didn't get what he said and how they got to this place. And if they can get a hold of it and make the change. Come on now, do you see this? And make the adjustment. Then God is gracious. Somebody say, God's gracious. He's gracious. And God says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. This is also prophetic. The margin says, I've found an atonement. You know, Job spoke by the Spirit of God and said, I need somebody that could be between me and God. I need, he's talking about an intercessor. He's talking about a mediator. How did he know that? By the Spirit of God. We can't say I need one. We have one. (laughs) And he is the atonement. He is the redemption. Verse 25, this is good. Can you read this? Verse 25. His flesh shall be fresher than a child's. He'll return to the days of his youth. He'll pray to God. God will be favorable to him. He shall see his face with joy. And he'll render unto man his righteousness. This is where the change came. Verse 27. He looked upon men and if any, if any man would say, I have sinned. And I've perverted that which was right, and it profited me not. He'll deliver his soul from going to the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man to bring back his soul from the pit to be enlightened with the light of the living. This is judgment, but then it's also atonement. It is redemption. You know, in the New Testament... The Bible talked about Paul by the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 5. There was a man there and a woman. A man had taken away his father's wife. So I guess this was his stepmother. And they had gotten together. And they're living together. And they're in the church there. And the uh, the Spirit of God through Paul talked about, apparently they wouldn't listen to anybody else. And he talked about them being judged. And turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. That the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. (laughs) Go to 1 Corinthians 5. 1 Corinthians 5. Have you read this before? Is it right? Do you understand it? (laughs) Chapter 5. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians. It is reported commonly that there's fornication among you. 
And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, fornication means having sex with people that you're not married to. Simple. And it was a problem back then. It's a problem now. But one of the bigger problems, I mean, people have made mistakes. But one of the bigger problems is that folks are not repenting. People say, well, I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. And you can tell they're going to do it again. They're preparing to do it again. And you're not going to get free. And it destroys marriages. It destroys homes. It destroys families. It destroys churches and ministries. The Lord didn't tell us not to be involved with fornication to spoil our fun. It's sin. And sin kills. It destroys. And it's not that he didn't want us taken care of and, uh, and to be happy and to be fulfilled. But uh, this is not fulfilling. Having affairs will not satisfy you in your soul or your mind or your life. Don't believe the lie. Don't believe it. And if you're, you know, you, you desire to, uh, to have a spouse, trust God. Wait on him. Let him take care of you. So, well, I have a spouse. Well, God can satisfy you with your spouse. Well, too much has happened. Don't underestimate God. Amen. <laughs> I've seen some relationships that, oh, man, you'd want you to think, hey, I don't know if God himself can fix that. <laughs> but they're still together now. Fifteen years, 20 years later. Apparently happy and whole and doing good. Don't underestimate yes. what God can do. Yes, you need to have faith in him. Yes. Say it out loud. I can be satisfied. I can be the right way. The right way. God, is God is faithful. He will take care of me. Wait on him. Don't try to get it the wrong way. Wait on him. Yes, Put your flesh under. Wait on him. Let him take care of you. He said, verse 2, you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that had done this deed might be taken away from among you. Now, see, a lot of, a lot of churches and ministries the same way today. They're puffed up. They act like we're enlightened. It's just physical failure. We all do it. Heard some folks talking recently, ministers. You know, we've all done it. I thought, uh uh-uh. No, you don't know everybody. People are just making excuses. They're making preparation to do it again. Aren't they? Repent doesn't just mean you cry because you got found out. And you got to repent means you... You change. If there's no change, there's no repentance. And so he said, you should be mourning about these guys in your church. He said, verily, as absent in the body, but present in the spirit, I have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. Our ministry gifts should be operating in a much greater power and authority than we've seen. He said, I've judged I've prayed about this, and I've done this, and this is what's going to happen. Because this was a church that was under him. It was pastors and people that were under him, and he had a right. And so many churches, the pastors are just hirelings that they hire and fire at whim. They know nothing of this kind of power or authority. But this is how many know the Bible's right? The New Testament is right. He said, verse 4, 
He said, I've judged already, verse 3, as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus, to deliver such an one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, if God is the one who destroys the flesh, we'd have just turned him over to God for the destruction of the flesh. God is not the one who makes people diseased. He's not the one who kills and steals and destroys. People say, yeah, but you know, God, let them be turned over to the devil. So he must, must have had some purpose in it. He must have had a reason. Did you feel that? Well, that's what I thought I heard that all my life. I know. It tells you the reason. It's not some great mystery. The reason is, is that this man and this woman are living together. They've destroyed other homes and relationships. It ain't nothing right about it. They say they're in love and that makes it all right. But they won't listen to anybody. To say that the judgment is right to say is to say that what brought the judgment is right. The judgment is a result of sin. To say that the judgment is the will of God is to say what brought it on is the will of God. Their flesh being destroyed is no more the will of God than their sin was the will of God. And it shouldn't have got this far. I said it shouldn't have got this far. Remember we read in Job, God he talks to people. And he talks to them again. And then he does special things. Apparently people had tried to talk to these guys, but oh no, they're enlightened and God's forgiven me and everything's fine and we can do this and leave us alone. And, and they got to where they wouldn't listen. And if you won't judge yourself, what did we read in the 11th chapter of this same epistle? If you won't judge yourself, what will happen? You're right there close by. Turn right on over. And if you say, well, I don't know if I like this series all that much or not. There is a reason you should be very glad. This is not ice cream and tater chips. This is solid food you have to chew. And the Lord knows you're ready for it. Hmm? It means you've grown. <laughs> it means you're established enough in other areas that we can talk about this. Without you getting scared or falling out your chair. Any other, right? This is good. This means maturity. This means growing up. Which should result in you being all the stronger, all the more established, all the more fully persuaded and firm, hard in mind. Which means you will not be moved by the changing winds of doctrines and goofy stuff that people come up with. You go, oh, no, no, no. This says this, and that says that, and Job says this, and Psalms says this, and Matthew says this, First Corinthians says this. You will not be easily duped or led astray or confused. No matter what people rant and rave about or how many books they write or how much they're on TV, you'll go, uh-uh, the Bible says it is written. You're not wavering about it. You know what you know. You know what you believe. You're sure. And old friend, if you're that way, then you are ready. If the devil tries to mess with you, you'll rebuke him off your babies. Come on, you'll rebuke him off of your yard, your, your kids, your business, your stuff. Did you hear me? Your faith will be strong. 
But when you're wavering and wondering, you're weak, vacillating, you'll be overcome. Be consumed, be destroyed like so many are being. Thank God we can be established in the word. He said, uh, turned over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why? Let's read that again before we, before we leave that. Why? Verse uh, 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Why didn't they turn them over to God? Because God is not the destroyer. For the destruction, not the destruction of them. The destruction of the flesh. Why? That their spirit, isn't this the, the mercy of God? They keep going the way they're going. They could wind up lost. Now dying prematurely is not the perfect will of God. But it sure does beat going to hell. Well, I preacher, I just believe once saved, always saved. Me too. As long as you want to be saved. But if you're trying to say that you lose your will and can't leave God, you're wrong. The Bible's very plain about this. And these were people that were in the church. And he's talking about this happening so that what would happen? So that their spirit would be saved. So it must have been in jeopardy. Can you see this? Over in the 11th chapter again. 11. 31. Is 1 Corinthians in the New Testament? Just apply to us. Oh, certainly, certainly. Should we know something about judgment? Yes. What's the good news about judgment? Right here. Here's the good news. Somebody said, I don't want that to happen to me. Me either. (laughs) I don't want to be left in the hands of the enemy. Because I know how much he hates me. And I know he's just been waiting to hurt me if he can. I know he's been laying to do it. But if I would, even if I mess up, even if I come short, even if I make a mistake, there's a way still to keep protection on me. And you. If we would judge ourselves, that means you're teachable. That means you'll listen. And that means you're willing to change. You're willing to repent. And you're not too proud and you're not too haughty and ignorant and and hard-headed, rebellious. You stand up and go, I was wrong. I was wrong. That's sin. I shouldn't have done that. There's no excuse. Lord, I ask you to forgive me. I repent. And it's not just empty words. You mean it. And you do. And you're a different man the next day. And next week. And if you are. I said if you are. You won't be judged. That's got to be frustrating to the devil. Because he thought surely he was going to be able to hurt you this time. <laughs> and he's got it all ready. And he's moving in. And he's going to mess up your life. And he goes, ah, huh, what? What? <laughs> yeah, but they're guilty. Now they repented. <laughs> what? Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, yeah, but the blood of the lamb has washed them clean and so they deserve no judgment. 
This is shouting ground, brother. Keep this verse in the forefront of your thinking through this whole teaching. And it'll keep everything clear for you. How do you rightly divide the scriptures with other scriptures? And this is a scripture that'll help you understand others. Is judgment real? Does it happen? Yes. In believers' lives? Yes. Is there a way to avoid it? Oh, hallelujah. Tell me. Tell me, how can you keep from getting judged? One more time. If I, if Keith will judge Keith, then Keith won't get judged. <laughs> you need to do that for yourself. We're not talking about playing games because God knows your heart, doesn't he? We're talking about real repentance. We're talking about real judging yourself, real change. Man, this is so big. How much more can you take? I don't... Oh, you you mature now. I got you. You can, oh, <laughs> you can handle it, can't you? Go with me to 1 Peter, the second chapter. I know you know this. I know you can quote it. Many of you. But let's look at it again. 1 Peter 2 and 24. You got this one marked? Oh, you ought to have highlights, stars, circles. 1 Peter 2.24. What does it say? Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. Glory. Don't you like that verse? Eh? Like is not a good word. Love. We love this verse. We love the Word. We love the Lord. He is the Word. It just ministers to you. Because it's the truth that makes you free. The chastisement of the Lord. What is chastisement? By His what? Stripes. The word chastisement basically means punishment. And depending on the context, you have to discern what kind of punishment. Oftentimes it's talking about physical punishment. It's talking about being beaten, being flogged, in the case of Jesus and Paul and others, scourged is the word. But it means beaten, whipped. With uh, oftentimes with sticks, rods, and the result when being hit or beaten with a rod is that it leaves a stripe. Now I know that there's been movies made and there's been people taught about a number of things and you have to watch about just assuming that that's the way it is. Where is it in the word? Where is it in the Word? I'm telling you, Scriptures talk much about being hit with a rod. And the result, well, just think about it. You, know, you take a stick and you hit yourself across the arm, what's it going to leave? A mark or a stripe. 
Let me read some scriptures to you. In fact, go to the book of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs. You say, yeah, but the stripes of Jesus were from this and from that. Can you prove it with the scriptures? Not somebody else's writings. Not somebody else's ideas. What does the scripture say? Uh, Proverbs 19. I'm moving too fast again. 27. We'll go to 27. Then I want us to back up a little bit. Proverbs 27 and 12. It says, A prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. But the simple, or this is refers to the foolish, pass on or keep going and are punished. You saw the progression in the book of Job. What if the person had gotten it and made the correction the first or the second or the third time the Lord spoke to him, or when he had given him that in a dream, or, or early in the morning when he woke him up. Can you see, that could have been stopped several places along the way. Hmm? And a, uh, a prudent man, a man of some wisdom, or a woman of some wisdom and understanding, is going to see where this is going, and see what the Lord is saying, and can judge yourself early. How I many like the idea of that stuff? Judge yourself early, and never gets to the place where it's just destroying your life and ruining everything. But a simple, a foolish person is just going to keep going. No matter what anybody says to them, hard-headed, stubborn, unteachable, rebellious. They're their own person. They're going to do whatever they think. Hmm? Their favorite song is, I did it my way. That is the song of fools. And that is the song of the destroyed. They pass on and what happens? What happens? They get punished. Punished. The 26th chapter, back up to chapter 26, Proverbs. Proverbs 26.2. As the bird by wandering and the swallow by flying, so the curse causeless shall not come. Verse 3, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the ass, and a rod for the fool's back. Why? Well, the donkey won't do what you're trying to get him to do. The horse won't do what you're trying to get him to do. The fool won't listen to God. Won't do what the Lord's trying to get him to do. So if words don't work, when words fail, There is the stick. And that is totally politically unacceptable. (laughs) But you can raise your kids based on Dr. So-and-so and and operate your life on Dr. So-and-so. Or you can have some understanding that God has more kids than anybody has ever had before. And he knows exactly. We're not talking about child abuse. We're not talking about lacerating kids' scalps with belt buckles and, and breaking ribs and doing stupid stuff. Right. 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 But when words fail, when words do not get the intended and desired result, you're foolish to keep talking. 
And that's how God is with you. (laughs) And with me. He's very patient. He's very long-suffering. But when words don't get it, and we're not listening, and we hadn't listened for the past three years, he loves us so much that he's not willing to just leave us alone and let us go off the precipice into destruction. Did you hear me? But what it's going to take is some judgment. And that's not fun. And it's not his will. What's his will? That you listen to him. That you do what he tells you to do. That's his will. So judgment doesn't please him. It's not his will. But even in judgment, God's merciful. It's his love in the judgment. Just like a mother or father disciplining their children. But a fool doesn't understand anything except a stick. Are you a fool? I don't want to be a fool. (laughs) Wise men and women don't need the stick. They get it when you tell them. Then they go, I'll fix that this afternoon. I'm on it. Huh? Then you don't need the stick. You're intelligent. You understood. You know when you're wrong. You're making adjustments. Let's look at a little bit more of this. Because this, there's redemptive truth in this 19 and 29. How is it that by Jesus' stripes we are healed? How is that so? Why is that so? Why stripes? 19 and uh, 29. Judgments are prepared for scorners and what? Stripes for the backs of fools. Judgments and stripes here mentioned together. Scorners. What's a scorner? Scorner and mocker. You can tell judgment is near when people get smart mouthed about their sin. If a person's in sin, but they're ashamed of it, then they're not nearly as close to judgment as a person who's in sin and don't care. Loud mouth about it. You see what I'm talking about? A person that knows it's wrong. Why would they be ashamed of it? They know it's wrong. And they're not trying to convince you that's right. But a person who is in your face with their sin and loud and and demonstrative about it, that person is very near judgment. They're near judgment. Look over in the 20th chapter. And 30. This gives you some insight into redemption. Tell me what 1 Peter 2.24 says. What does it say? Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. By whose stripes ye were healed. Do you believe that verse? Is healing belong to you? Why? How did you get it? How did Jesus obtain it? How did he procure it for you? He endured what? He endured something that resulted in stripes being left on him. He was judged and he was beaten. 
And there's controversy apparently as to whether he was beaten with a whip or he was beaten with sticks or whether the whip had sharp objects in it. You know, a lot of this is somebody said it, somebody made a movie out of it. Is it Bible? Is it in the scripture? Where is it? It didn't say uh, some of those things. What it did say is the stripes. And some of that same words are translated bruises. And you see scripture here. Chapter uh, 20 and verse 30. 20 verse 30. What does it say? The blueness of a wound does what? Cleanses away evil. And so do what? Stripes also cleanse away the inward parts of the belly. This is interesting, isn't it? The blueness of a wound cleanses away evil. We know just in the natural healing process, you'll see it's blue and yellow. You got a, you ever had a bad bruise before? Well, something's going on in there that's actually purging and cleansing. And the healing process is at work. But this has a spiritual counterpart. And by Jesus stripes, we're healed. You bring your shouting clothes tonight, you, huh? Can you, can you, can you get an inkling of where this is going now, huh? Go to, uh, Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. <laughs> Which is what Peter was quoting. Isaiah was looking by the Spirit into the future to come. He saw this by the Spirit. Peter is looking back to the cross where it already happened. Which is why Isaiah says, by his stripes we are healed. Peter says, with his stripes we were One is looking towards it. The other was looking back to it. It has happened. Hasn't it? But see, the ones that stood outside there where Jesus was hung on the cross, they could see the nail-pierced hands. They could discern some of the physical agony. But that's not what Isaiah is seeing. He's seeing in the Spirit. He's not looking at what the soldiers did to Jesus. He's looking at what the righteous judge of all the earth did to Jesus. Isaiah 53. Isaiah. Somebody say, I love Isaiah. You love the word? That's another way of saying you love Jesus. He is the word. Isaiah 53. You got this mark too? Oh, surely you got Isaiah 53 marked. Verse 3. Now tell me, what is Isaiah seeing? What is he seeing? Jesus, the babe in the major, has not been born yet. Will not be born for a long, long, long time. What's Isaiah seeing? He's seeing in the Spirit. Into the future. And he says, he, who's he talking about? He, Jesus. He is despised and rejected of men. 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. If you look up those words, in fact, some modern translations have it this way. The word sorrow is the word for pain. And the word grief is the word for sickness. He is a man of pains and acquainted with sickness. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. That's the word for sicknesses. And he has carried our sorrows. That's the word for pains. Yet we did esteem him what? Stricken. Remember reading those scriptures we talked about God judging. God struck this one and God smote this one. He was, we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. And he was. But it was not for his transgressions. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of Chastisement. What's chastisement? Punishment. Being beaten, being whipped, being scourged. The punishment of our peace was upon him and with his stripes. The stripes, the welts, the bruises that were the result of him being beaten. Bought our healing. Mm-mm. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was mocked. He was spit on. He was crucified. And he was tempted to open his mouth. What does that mean? He said, don't you know? I could call on the Father. He'd give me legions of angels. Was he? Come on, think about it. You know, all you got to do is open your mouth. You're hanging on the cross in an agony. You're being, all you got to do is say, I'm innocent. I appeal to the righteous judge of all the earth. I do not deserve this. I do not, I do not deserve judgment or punishment. I call on the righteousness of God. I'm telling you the ground would have shook. Everybody would have ran away and he would come off that cross and we'd be lost. Think about the control. Think about the love. Think about the faith that you know all I got to do is open my mouth and I'm out of here. But he didn't. He bit his lip. He held his tongue. Because he knew we deserved it. We deserved to be punished. We deserved to be beaten. We deserved stripes. We deserved sickness. We deserved pain. We deserved to be tormented. We deserved to be judged. We deserved to die. But we have not fully grasped what it means. If he took what he didn't deserve, what does that mean for us? What did that do for us? Did he deserve to be sick? Was he made sick? What does that mean for you? (laughs) 
Did he deserve to be punished for sin? And torment in his, you know, lost peace? No. Did he take it anyway? What does that mean for us? What did it buy? What did it get? Oh, friend, we need to talk more about this. We need to preach and teach more about it. We need to confess this and shout about this. Let me read this to you from some other translations. The Amplified and the Knox translation are similar. It says, we thought of him as someone punished by God, stricken, smitten, afflicted by God as with leprosy. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is on him. And by his bruise, there is healing to us. That's a very literal translation. Say that out loud. By his bruise, bruise, there is healing healing to me. me. Hmm. How do you get bruises? By being beaten. Do the righteous and obedient deserve to be beaten? No. Fools deserve to be beaten. Because they couldn't get across to them with words. They won't listen. They wouldn't receive instruction. They wouldn't receive correction. Fools deserve to be beaten. Is Jesus a fool? Did he take the beating though? Why did he take the beating? He didn't deserve the beating. He had to control himself not to open his mouth. Because everything about him was saying, I don't deserve this. <laughs> and all he had to do was say so. And he'd been delivered instantly. But you did deserve it. I deserved, you deserved to be broke, to be mentally oppressed, to be in sin, to be sick and broke. We deserved it. But he took it. I said, he took it. He took my beating. He took your beating. Poverty is punishment. I know people don't like it, but it is. Read the scripture. Sickness is punishment. Oppression, mental, you know, grief and and vexation and, and confusion, depression, punishment. Punishment. That's all punishment. It's all curse. Ain't no way any sickness has ever been a blessing in disguise or otherwise. It's a curse. And you and I deserved it. Because we've missed it. We've messed up. And we've been hard-headed and slow to hear and slow to repent. We deserved it. But. (laughs) But. Somebody who didn't deserve it came in our place and let them tie him to the whipping post. Come on. Come on. He let them tie him. He said, nobody takes my life from me. He was not helpless pawn in their hands. He let them do it. And they beat him. I don't know the details, but I know it resulted in wounds and bruises and whelps and stripes and they beat him. And they beat him. And he let them beat him. But what was happening that you couldn't see. Is what verse 10 says. Isaiah 53.10. It pleased the Lord to do what? Who? This is not what the soldiers did. 
It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. That's that same word. Listen to Young's literal translation. The Jehovah has delighted to bruise him. He has made him sick. JPS says it pleased the Lord to crush him by disease. Rotherham's translation, he has laid on him sickness. When they were beating him with the whip or the rod, whatever it was, and they were hitting him, and they were hitting him, you could see it, the people that were there could see it. It was physical agony and pain, but there was so much more that you could not see. When they hit him with the stick or the whip, God struck him with every cause of disease and sickness and infirmity. It struck him inside. Why is he doing that? Does he deserve to be beaten? Does he deserve to be chastised, to be punished? No. No, he's never, never made a mistake. He's never failed the Father. He's never sinned. He never did anything except please the Father every day of his life. So why'd he do it? Why'd he do it? What does it mean? What did he buy for us? I'll read it again. With his stripes. Come on, is this stirring you up? With his stripes. With his stripes, I am healed. I'm healed. With his stripes, I am healed. That's supposed to mean something to us, brother. That's supposed to mean something to us, sister. And what is sad is because many that are unlearned and unstable have twisted scriptures and changed things and taught people that it might be the will of God for them to be sick and that they might glorify God through that cancer. Are you listening to me? Or that God is working something in them through that high blood pressure and through this and that and through that heart failure. and, and pro- Listen, listen. Sickness is punishment. It's a curse. God's not blessing his people with sickness. He's not teaching us with disease. Don't you believe these lies? Himself. <laughs> Put it up on the screen. First Peter 2.24. I know we've heard some of these things. We've known some of them for years, but when it starts getting old to you and you're not excited about it anymore, you've lost something. Who his own self, he didn't send an angel to do it for him. He came in person. His own self, he bare my sins in his body. We know he took them upon himself in his spirit and his mind and soul, but he also took the results of sin in the body, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins now should live under righteousness and by whose stripes ye were healed. Say it out loud. By his stripes I 
am healed. Say it again. By his stripes I am healed. One more time. By his stripes I am healed. Glory to God. Somebody say glory to God. Say glory to God. By his stripes. By his stripes. I am healed. Go to Acts 22. I think I'm closing. Why do millions of Christians not know this? Or not believe this? They'll say, oh, that's talking about spiritual. Spiritual. Jesus didn't just go to the cross in spirit. Did he? No. He didn't just minister to people when he walked the earth spiritually. Did he? He did, but it wasn't limited to that. Did he minister to people in their minds, in their souls, and in their bodies? Did he minister to them to meet their physical needs and financial needs? Yeah. Is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? When he went to the cross, did he go spirit and soul and body? Did he pay the price? Spirit and soul and body. Did he obtain redemption for us in our spirit and in our soul and in our body? When he said it is finished, did he leave anything out? No. No. When you said I'm saved, you said a mouthful. When you said I'm redeemed, you said a bunch. Saved from what? Everything bad. Everything that resulted from sin and the curse. This body, put your hands on your hand or your arm or something where you can feel. This body is an eternal part of the body of Christ. Somebody said, no, Brother Keith. This body's going to die. The Lord tears is coming and it'll decompose. And I'm glad to get, I want my new body. I don't like this one no how. You need to listen. This body, touch it again. This body has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this body will exist forever. Now it needs to be glorified. (laughs) And I assure you, once the glorifying power of God has gone over it, you'll be completely happy. You're not going to be disappointed. But it's not going to be another body. It's going to be this body. This body. Why else would he need to come and raise the ones from the dead? Why not just leave that corrupt stuff there? The Lord thinks so much of your body, this one, that he has bought and paid for it eternally and made it an eternal part of the body of Christ. Don't take my word for it. Study it out. Read carefully in 1 Corinthians, that epistle, you'll see it. 6th chapter, 5th chapter, you'll see it. 1 Corinthians 15, you'll see it. This body. So, 
This idea that what happens in this body, whether it's sin or whether it's sickness, doesn't really matter because it's just this natural physical body and it's going to perish. That is a lie that's wrong. That's somebody unstable and unlearned twisting the scriptures. Our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Hmm? Our body has been bought with a price. Didn't the scripture say that? Does it say that? You've been bought with a price. So glorify God, not just in your spirit, but didn't he say in your body? And your spirit. Elsewise, this body could not be raised from the dead. The fact that it can be raised from the dead is because he's already bought it. It belongs to him and he's keeping what's his. He thinks more of it than you and I do. Doesn't he? I mean, you live with it day in and out and it's aging and the curse is working on it and gray hair and wrinkles and this and that and you get tired and fed up with it. Listen, listen. It is a precious thing. It is the most precious physical possession you'll ever have. Not your house, not your car, not your clothes, not your jewelry. This body is the most precious physical possession you'll ever have. Because you lose it, you won't need a car. (laughs) They'll give you a one-way ride in that big, long black one. Huh? You lose it, you won't need a house. They'll give you a little box or whatever. (laughs) Don't despise your body. Don't say bad things about it. I know it, you know, the curse has affected us and, and there's some things that's not quite right, but it's not over yet. I said it's not over yet. It's been bought. It's been paid for. It's going to last forever. And the Bible tells us we can enjoy the first fruits of our inheritance. No, we're not. Our bodies are not glorified yet, but we can experience periodic quickenings, quickenings, healings. And quickenings. What? To keep us in good operational shape. Till we run our race and finish our course. And get out of here. Or he comes when the trumpet sounds. And the glory of God will flow through us. And we won't need any more healing. Or any more quickening. Because it will be incorruptible. Immortal. What is it going to be like to be able to go day in, day out, year after year after year, never get tired? Never get tired. Never need anything. Never have an ache. Never have a pain. (laughs) Energy level off the scale. (laughs) This body, I know know it takes faith, but this body (laughs) is going to be that way one of these days for believers. For believers. I'd have preached this to myself just to make me happy. Uh, go to Acts, please. 22. Acts 22. Tell me what Isaiah 53 and 1 Peter 2.24 reveals. By his stripes. I was and am. Always will be healed. How is it that by his stripes, his bruises, the result of being beaten, how does that heal me? Because sickness is punishment. Sickness is a beating. 
Hmm? Poverty's a beating. You ever felt beat up? <laughs> Financially? Huh? Ever felt beat up physically? Mentally? Emotionally? Are you supposed to be being beaten? Huh? You messed up. <laughs> you hadn't always listened. This to me really brings it home. Acts 22. Paul is preaching. And virtually everywhere he went, they had revival and riot. <laughs> and the same was here. <laughs> some people liked it and some people hated it. Nothing's changed in that department. And so they arrested him. And uh, I mean, it hadn't been all that long since Jesus was scourged and crucified. You're talking about the book of Acts right here. Just just a matter of, of years. A lot of these same people were around. Of course the same government. Same practices. Same everything. And verse 24. The chief captain. This is Acts 22:24. He commanded Paul to be brought into the castle. And bade that he should be examined by scourging. This is torture. They're going to ask him some questions. And then they're going to beat him. And then they ask him some more questions. They're going to beat him. That he might know wherefore they cried so against him. And as they bound him with thongs. They're tying him to the post. Getting ready to beat him. Paul said to the centurion that stood by. Is it lawful? Do you have a right? To scourge a man that is a Roman. And uncondemned. See Roman citizens. Had rights. Nobody else did. I mean it was a big deal. To be a citizen. If you were a citizen. You were somebody. A citizen had the right. To appeal their case. All the way to Caesar. Which Paul did. Didn't he? You've read it. If you weren't a citizen. I mean, they might find you dead in the ditch in the morning and somebody says, who is that? So I don't know. Were they a citizen? Nah, I take them to the junk heap, the garbage pile, you know. You're nobody. You got no rights. But if you were a citizen, you're somebody. How many know the scripture tells us that we are a citizen? Does it say so? We are a citizen of heaven. It's the Greek word politium. It's the word we get our word politics from. But it has to do with a person whose name is on the roster. Our names are in the book. That itemizes the citizenship of heaven and the kingdom of God. We have a place there. We are. Somebody. (laughs) The righteous have rights. I need to say that three or four times. The righteous have rights. Say it out loud. The righteous 
have they have rights. How about the condemned? The condemned. What do you mean condemned? Those found guilty lose their rights, don't they? The righteous have rights. Rights of protection, rights of freedom. On and on. Rights. In this country, it means something to be a citizen. We have a Bill of Rights. Hmm? Rights. And you may think that our country has problems, and it sure does, but have you spent much time in other countries? (laughs) Where they do not have a Bill of Rights. (laughs) We do have some rights. But when a person is found guilty and condemned and sentenced, they lose their rights. Don't they? They lose their rights. And they're no longer treated as a citizen. They're a prisoner. And they've lost their rights. Paul is not being treated like a citizen. He's being treated like a criminal. And he knows that a citizen has rights. No citizen should be punished and uh, uh, examined. Or what's, what's the word? Mm, tortured. Like this. Without having had a proper trial. And had their opportunity to prove their, their innocence. And so he's tied, they tied him to the post and he's been over much like they tied Jesus to the post. And he turned around and said, Hey, <laughs> tell me what Jesus did when they tied him to the post. Tell me what. He didn't say anything. Why didn't he say anything? <laughs> Somebody said it. Why did Jesus Open not his mouth. So you could. So I could. So Paul could. He said. Is it lawful. For you to scourge a man. That is a Roman and uncondemned. What if he didn't know his rights. What if Paul hadn't known his rights. Oh. He wouldn't say anything. Except holler and scream or beg or. They just beat him and tortured him. Does it matter what you know? Yes. As a believer, as a citizen of heaven, should you know your rights? Yes. Do you need to know that you're made the righteousness of God in Christ? Do you need to know that the judgment that would have come on you has come on the master? Do you need to know? Yes. He looked up, he said, is it lawful for you to scourge a man that's a Roman and uncondemned? And when the centurion heard that, he went and told the chief captain, he said, hey. You better watch out what you're doing. This man's a Roman. He said, what? A Roman? The chief captain came. He come out of his office. He came down to see Paul personally. He said, tell me, are you really a Roman? (laughs) Don't you know Paul was glad he could say, yeah. Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) Come on, you got to remember, this is how he is right now. Are you really a Roman? That's a yes. That's an affirmative. Uh huh. <laughs> Does it make any difference how you answer this question? Yes. Makes a difference between walking away free or getting the life beat out of you. Oh, come on, are you seeing this, friends? Why is this in the Bible? Then straightway they departed from him, which should have examined or tortured him, and the chief captain was afraid. 
after he knew he was a Roman and because he had bound him. They tied Jesus to the post. He deserved no punishment. The righteous have rights. He could have opened his mouth and been delivered, but he didn't. Why? He's thinking about you. He was thinking about me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was on him. He took those stripes, but what did they do for us? With his stripes, we are healed. And here, what a picture of a redeemed, of a citizen of the kingdom of God. The enemy's trying to tie you to the post. He's going to beat you. He tried to bring things to your mind, let you know you deserve this. You got no right to be healed. You got no right for your needs to be met. And if you don't know who you are in Christ, you don't know what belongs to you. You'll be quiet. You'll make bad confessions. You'll yield to fear. You'll worry and you'll be beaten. I said you'll be beaten. You'll be scourged. Life will be bad. Oh, but if you know. I said if you know. Then you'll speak up and say, hey, hey, hey. You got no right to do this. Oh, come on. Somebody needs to be with me. Hey, hey. You got no right to do this in my house. You got no right to do this in my finances. You got no right in my children. You got no right in my marriage. You got no place. Is it lawful? Devil, is it lawful? For you to try to do this in the house of a child of God? Of the righteousness of Christ? What'd they do? What'd they do? I mean, they're ready to beat him. They're about to lay into him. What'd they do? Huh? What? 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 Better go tell the chief captain. So they run told the big devil. (laughs) Hey, big devil. (laughs) You about to mess up. You know who this is? Well, that ain't important. But they know who they are. (laughs) And they're hollering about their this and that and Jesus and we ain't got no right. He comes out and goes, ah, ah, we're sorry. We're sorry, Mr. Paul. Untie the man. Untie the man. Untie the man. Uh, would you like some grapes? <laughs> You're not going to tell Caesar about this, are you? <laughs> what a change! <laughs> oh, but can you see? Because of unlearned and unstable people twisting scriptures and teaching us that we're suffering for the glory of God by being sick. And by being broke. And we're going to talk about suffering for Jesus. There is a side of this that we need to look at and talk about. But rightly divided. And so people just take everything as though it was the will of God. And they are laying down and yielding to stuff. And letting it happen to them. And not resisting. Making no effort to stand up or speak up. Because their faith has been robbed. By these wrong doctrines. Let's believe. Let's practice it ourselves. Let's get the word to others. Huh? Let's let people know. Jesus took your place. Yeah, you deserve all kind of stuff. And so did I. But if he took what he didn't deserve. That means we don't have to take what we do deserve. If he became sin with our sin, 
then we're made righteous with His righteousness and the righteous have rights. Stand on your feet, everybody. Ooh, but preach myself happy. Somebody said out loud, I have rights. I have a right to be saved. I have a right to be clean. I have a right to have peace. I have a right to have my needs met. And I have a right to be healed. Hallelujah. Not because of what you've done. Not because of what I've done. Because of what he did. He took our place. Didn't he? We must be quick to stand up and speak up. Let the redeemed of the Lord, let them say it. Friends, be quicker and be bolder to speak up in your life. Don't just let the enemy rob you and steal your stuff and put sickness and put disease and work it on you and on your kids and on yourself. Don't take that laying down. It's not your job and mine to heal ourselves. We're not capable of it. Don't try to take that burden and responsibility. You can't. But what you can do is resist. Somebody say resist. 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 (laughs) Phyllis does good in this area about uh, any time the devil try to steal any of our stuff financially. Our problems come up. She starts hollering and stomping her feet going, we're tithers. We're people of God. We serve the Lord. The devil can't get to He can't take our stuff. He can't get our stuff. What's she, isn't that the same thing? She's turning around and saying, no, you don't. You can't do this. We resist you. Does the Bible tell us resist the devil? Does it tell us resist the devil? If it's stealing, if it's killing, if it's destroying, it's the devil. Resist it. Stand against it. Say, no, you don't. You got no rights. You got no rights. Yeah, but you did this and you did that and you did the other. If you've repented, if you've judged yourself, he's still got no rights. No rights. And you got rights. Hallelujah. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.